Good morning. As you turn into uh, Romans 14, we're going to start in verse 20 and go to chapter 15, verse 5. Excuse me, verse 3. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is not. It is good not to call meat, not to eat meat or to drink wine, or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have... Have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he it, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor, for each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification for even Christ did not please himself but as it is written the, re- the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me good morning it's good to be in the Lord's house this morning I hope and pray that you all had a very good week this past week Pray that your time in the Word was profitable, your time with family was profitable. This morning we continue in our study in the book of Romans. It's been rich, it's been very rewarding, and this morning we're going to look specifically where we left off last week, verse 19, we'll pick up in verse 20 and then Lord willing we'll make it through verse Three, this morning of chapter 15. You know, as I was looking at the text for this week, I was reminded of this word build. And you know, I have to, uh, in part, say, say thank you to, to Kalen. He probably doesn't even know this. But last week, if you recall, and you were here, Kalen shared some things during the Lord's Supper time that on that word edification. And I was thinking about that this week, especially as I was looking into looking at 19 and 20. One of the important tasks, I believe, as you're studying the Scripture for yourself is to be able to look and see how Scripture is pieced together. And so looking where we left off and looking where we begin today, I was drawn back to the edification. And I believe that while there are many things repeated in this text, there's also an emphasis here in this particular text. I've subtitled the message this morning just in terms of a working title. Always, It's helpful for me to have some kind of working title that I put forward. Are you building up or are you tearing down? Are you building up or are you tearing down? And you know, I was thinking about this idea of building and and was just drawn immediately to the Old Testament. And I was, was thinking about these things that are built. An ark. Many of you might remember the ark that was built in the Old Testament and the length of time that it took to build that ark. Built by Noah and his family. We read about that in Genesis 6 through 8. We also see an altar. And we see Abraham, the life of Abraham. That's a pattern seems to be in his life. Genesis 12, 8 tells us that he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. We also see as we get to Genesis chapter 11, 
something else was built. There was a tower built. The Tower of Babel. It says in Genesis 11, for the people, they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. And just four verses later in verse 8, chapter 11 of Genesis, the Lord, remember, came down. The Lord scattered them abroad from over there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. I was also reminded of the idols. Now, I was drawn to Exodus 32, verse 4. Remember, remember that story? Where Moses has been up meeting with the Lord, and he comes down, and he sees Aaron, and he had built, fashioned a molded calf from the gold of the people. And he said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of Egypt. Looking at 2 Samuel 7, 13, we see that the temple was also a major building project. Solomon commissioned by God to build a house for my name. And then I was also reminded of the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah and the people there in chapter 2. Nehemiah says, come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem. And the people reply, let us rise up and build. You might be asking, what does this building have to do with what we're talking about in Romans 14 and 15. And the Old Testament provides many examples of building, but what of the New Testament? Well, I believe there are many in the New Testament as well we could point to. For instance, we could look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and Jesus is speaking these words. Peter there. Jesus says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will build my church, Jesus says. And it's interesting, those words to Peter, because when you go to Peter's epistle, you read these words in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 and 9 and 11. Peter says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The context in which Peter is writing, these words become very important, but also take those words that Peter had written in his epistle and I see them very appropriate for where we're at in Romans. Abstain from lushly flesh which war against the soul. Abstain from passing judgment upon your brother. Understand that we're living stones and we are being built up. And then there are those wonderful passages. Turn for just a moment with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. I'll begin in verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building 
being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Oh, there's so many important, rich words right there. But we can turn and we can look at chapter 4, starting verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All that ought to be our objective, church, to see that each one in Christ Attain to that full measure of the stature of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share. This is a work in which everyone gets involved. No bench players on this team. Everyone is intended to be a part. Everyone is intended to carry out his or her work in the Lord. Look at this. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Those are some rich passages in terms of building and looking at foundations and how we even go about that process. You know, Paul writes in Corinthians as well. Just uh, one other one here to add. I think it's a very important one. In Corinthians chapter 3, it speaks to the uniqueness of this foundation. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is... Jesus Christ. That's our foundation, church. That's the foundation. And so when we take those passages of Scripture just as a precursor to where we're at this morning, we turn back to Romans chapter 14. And I'd just like to read verse 19 where we left off. Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify or build up another. That's where we left off last week. Now we need to understand that the context has not changed over the past several verses. Paul has been speaking about how to handle differences among the body of Christ. Specifically, in context, Paul is speaking about how they're eating meat and drinking wine and elevating a certain day over another. How can you effectively work these things out in the context of church life, body life? How do we do that? The text today continues this ongoing theme in Romans 14 and 15. But I believe there's also this particular emphasis involved. No doubt there's some repetition. I believe that's intentional. But it seems that Paul is shining a laser on the theme of building up one another. Building up one another. It's almost as though he's, he's crying out here, remember in the course of your interactions with others in the body, you are charged with building them up. Stop tearing down your brothers. Build up and refrain from tearing down. But why? 
the text continues to instruct the church. Let's listen in on what the Spirit has to say. Look at verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Notice. Notice what comes on the heels of pursuing the things by which one may edify or build up another. It says, do not destroy. Do not tear down. Grammatically speaking, stop tearing down. The implication is that this is already happening in the midst of the church. And the charge here is to stop it. Pursue the things by which you can build up. Do not tear down. If you look closer at verse 20, though, it gets better. Provides a greater insight as to why you are under obligation to build and not tear down a brother. It says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. You know, I, I underline that phrase, the work of God. The work of God. And if you hear nothing else this morning, I pray that you hear this. I, I do pray you hear this. You're, you're passing judgment on a brother over preferential matters. You're tearing down of a brother within the body of Christ is destroying the work of God. Question may come, what work of God is he speaking to? Is he speaking of in this text? Well, the work of God is the very thing God himself has brought about in the life of that other brother. It was the work of God that saved that brother. It was the work of God that opened that brother's eyes. It was the work of God through the blood of Jesus that brought that other brother near. It's the work of God in that other brother. While he was yet a sinner, that the gracious, effective work of God that transfers one from the kingdom of darkness into that marvelous kingdom of light. And if the church can grasp this principle... I believe the personal preferences, raised banners, and the drawing of circles that we spoke of last week, I believe they begin to fade as the church takes its eyes off of what the psalmist says, the worthless things, and turns its eyes truly upon Jesus. It's almost as though Paul's saying, think about it. Are you willing to tear down the work of God in that brother's life for the sake of something like eating meat? Are you willing to tear down the work of God in that other brother's life for the sake of drinking wine? Is it worth tearing down the work of God for the sake of... And I'm going to leave a blank. And you fill in the blank. What is it that you are doing, perhaps, that may be destroying the work of God in that other brother's life? Maybe it would be a good idea for Hope in Christ Church to apply the words of the psalmist at this point. I read a few words from Psalm 19. Just the ending of that psalm. 
Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. You see, some of us may not think this is all that big of a deal. It is. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my strength, and my redeemer. I believe the psalmist also gives us some other words to hold on to in Psalm 139. The ending of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God. Search me. I believe one of the things we ought to be about practicing is asking God on a regular basis to shine His corrective light on the things... in our own lives. The tendency in the body may be to ask God to shine His light on that other brother who's got it all wrong. Remember, the context here is not speaking of a brother who is in the dark regarding the core of the gospel. (laughs) The context is speaking to differences and preferences that believers in Christ hold to. You know, it's almost as though if you had a, this flashlight and, and, and we go around and, and we shine this flashlight on this brother right here. Lord, help this brother right here. And, oh, this, this brother, over, this sister over here. Oh, and we, we, we do a good job of shining our flashlight, so to speak, on these other brothers, asking the Lord to, to do something with them, please. We must be careful. We must be careful. And perhaps that light needs to be turned back upon ourselves. Search me, O oh God. See if there is any wicked, offensive way in me. Shine the light. Lord, open my eyes to see it. And help me then to remove it. As one of your children, Lord, help me not walk in the flesh, but to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, looking for ways to edify and build up my brother in Christ. The last part of Romans 14.20 says this, All things indeed are pure, but it is evil or it is wrong for the man who eats with offense or the man who eats with a cause to make his brother stumble. These are familiar words. Paul's already declared, going back to Romans 14, 14. He's already declared all things are pure, all things are clean. But Paul here is again emphasizing that does not, though, give you a license to pass judgment upon your brother in matters of preference or difference. It's not a ticket to do what you want. In fact, Paul goes on and says it's, it's wrong for you to eat when... In doing so, you are setting before that brother a cause for stumbling. And look how he continues in the next verse, 21. 
It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So to take his point further, Paul says it's good neither to eat with offense nor drink with offense nor, and here, here, here he broadens the scope, nor anything by which your brother stumbles. Nor anything. Now what are the ramifications here of this? Anything. Well, the believer in Christ is charged with going to great lengths, don't you think? Do you see that? The believer in Christ is charged with going to great lengths to build up his brother in the body of Christ. We'll look at Galatians 6. This is a cross-reference here. Galatians 6, I read 2 through 5. Bear one another's burdens... And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You know, that's one of the problems I think many of us have. I'm raising my hand right here with you. We tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, don't we? We tend to think of ourselves as being better at something than what we really are. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. Shine that light on your own self for a moment. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Now here in Galatians 6, we see on one hand a responsibility to bear one another's burdens. And yet there's also... When we look at verse 5, it seems to be personal responsibility to examine your own work. And so when we connect that back to Romans 14, 22, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Now, the, the ESV I, I, I enjoy on this verse, uh, it says the faith that you have Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. It's just the whole idea of personal responsibility before the Lord. The faith that you have is between you and the Lord. And when you look at 1423, there's a contrast in the instruction. But... He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. And and it's right here where I'm reminded of what Paul has already spoken of in Romans 14. When you look at verses 5 through 8. And and you see there in verse 5 in particular. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Remember it talks about observing the days to the Lord. I believe Kevin was speaking to this idea of the, the repetition of to the Lord. To the Lord. To the Lord. Whether you're someone eats, eat unto the Lord. Whether you should not to eat, do it unto the Lord. And Paul here in this context has been speaking of the strong and the faith and the weak and the faith. And the strong and the faith are charged with understanding and embracing the liberty they've been given in Christ and to keep it between themselves and the Lord. To not abuse the liberty that they've been given. 
The weak in the faith are to be fully convinced in their mind too. And how these two parties, here it is, how these two parties handle their liberties in Christ manifests itself primarily in two ways. The building up of the body or the tearing down of the body. And Paul, Paul's not finished speaking on this subject matter. Romans 14 is done when you reach verse 23. But Romans 15 picks up the previous thoughts and continues them for a few more verses. Here again is an example where the chapter headings may lead you on a biblical detour of sorts. Pointing you, because sometimes I think when we, when we read the Word, we're, our tendency is to see things by the chapter, the bold chapter markings or the subtitles that have been uh, put in here in the Scripture. We need to understand those are not God-breathed. <laughs> so what does that mean for us as we're reading the Scripture on our own? What does that mean? Well, I, I do believe that we need to be sure that as we're reading that we don't assume that one point is compiled within a chapter, and, and then when that chapter is done, then there's a new thought here with this new chapter. Uh, there could be a tendency to do that. And so, so maybe the practice for us there is to ask of the Holy Spirit to show the relationship in this chapter as you transition into the following chapter. What is the connection? What is the connection? And that you might see them then in the light in which they were intended to be read. Well, Romans 15.1 says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. I want you to notice something here in, in the beginning chapter 15. Paul includes himself here in Romans 15 as one of the strong, doesn't he? We then who are strong. Puts himself part of that. We then who are strong. Having, having just cautioned the strong in verse 22 about the liberties they've been given in Christ and how to handle those before the Lord and, and having spoken also to the weak in verse 23 about their lack of awareness in, in regard to the liberties given to them in Christ, Paul now addresses the strong specifically as he's been doing for the most part here in chapter 14 speaking from that vantage point He's addressing the strong, calling them to an obligation. This is not an option, but this is an obligation. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples or weaknesses. Maybe another word or translation there. Weaknesses of the weak. Let's ask the question, why? Why so? Well, I believe... To some degree, up to this point, Paul has answered that question. And if we do a, just a quick look and see, you see in Romans 14, 1, the instruction there is to receive one who is weak in the faith, but not, not to dispute over doubtful things. We see also in Romans 14, 10, and 12, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Each of us shall give account of himself to God. We ought to bear with the weaknesses of the weak, the scruples of the weak. Why? Because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 
Why else? Well, Paul's already told us that the objective is to walk in love with this brother, isn't it? Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Romans 14, verse 15 says. And we also saw that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we see also here from verse 20 of chapter 14, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. We then who are strong ought to bear with the weaknesses of the weak. The word bear is to carry a load, carry a weight of some kind. Anybody ever done that? Carried any kind of load physically? A load? Kind of know, maybe some of you uh, have carried, anybody ever carried shingles up a ladder on a roof? If, if you've done that, you know what that is. You know what that load feels like, especially when you're doing it multiple times. And that can get pretty wearing, can it? You know, the load doesn't have to be physical, though, does it? Doesn't have to be. Two thoughts here pertaining specific to the bearing with the weaknesses of the weak. First of all, I, I, I believe that there's, there's this voice that says, you, you have enough going on in your own life and in the life of your family. You don't need to compound things by adding on someone else's weaknesses, someone else's problems, someone else's, you fill in the blank. And this person has no desire to bear the weight of another brother's weakness in the faith. Then there may be a person who makes it a point to bear another brother's weight. But you do so to the detriment of your own relationship with the Lord. You're busy managing the affairs of others. Almost so you're on the lookout for how you might be involved in someone's life. So much so you begin to put unnecessary weights into your wheelbarrow. And I got to thinking about this and asking, you know, has the Lord made it clear to you how you are to bear with the weaknesses of the weak? Have you inquired of the Lord for how He would desire to use you with another brother? Or have you gone forward in your own strength, trying to bear with any and all who enter. <laughs> I, the difference here, I, I believe, is this. In the first approach, you, you have a mentality of, of loaded. You have this loaded mentality. It keeps you from interceding in the life of that weaker brother in the faith. And I would go so far as to say, interceding in the life of any other brother. You're just loaded, and you can't take any other relationships. Some of you might be there today. Some of you might feel that way. I'm loaded up here with relationships. But that second approach begins, it begins with an unloaded mentality. You have, you have a desire to bear with that other brother and, 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 and that brother and, and that brother and that brother and that brother and, and the list goes on. So much so to the point that you're bearing others' burdens while neglecting the responsibility of your own load, Galatians 
There's caution on both ends, isn't there? This bearing of the weak is, is not an instruction solely for one or two people in the body, but this is to be carried out among the parts of the body. Edification, building up, is not exclusively an elder pastoral work. I say that not to take any responsibility off of my shoulders or Kevin's shoulders or Ralph's shoulders. I say that because I believe wholeheartedly that the Scripture calls the parts of the body to be about this same work. This is not something exclusive to the three of us here at Hope in Christ. And I urge you, and I want to, to call you to that. And how do you do that? Some of you may be sitting there and going, I, I don't know how to do that. How do I do that? What do I do? Well, that maybe is another sermon. But in short, I'll give you two things in short. We have the Word of God that's been given to us and preserved for us. And we have the greatest resource available in the Holy Spirit that's been given to you if you are in Jesus Christ. That's a great starting point for edifying and building up your brother. Notice, too, the motive Paul inserts at the end of Romans 15.1. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Oh, he just had to put that in there. You know, it would, if you just left that part out, some of us do a really good job of finding loopholes and things. He closes the loophole right here. And not to please ourselves. So here's a question. What is your motive for getting involved in that brother's life? What's your motive? Is it to walk with them in love and to allow the Lord, to allow the Lord to sanctify them over time? Or... Is the motivation to get them to walk as you might walk? Are you bearing the weaknesses of the weak for the purpose of pleasing yourself? Look at me. Look, Lord. Lord, Lord. Credit this one to my account, please. I believe Paul doesn't just leave this open-ended. He gives us a proper motive. In Romans 15, 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. So the motivation for bearing with one another ought not be pleasing self. Instead, Paul says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good. The text points to the thoughts and motivations of the heart. Which reminds me of Romans 12, verse 3, where Paul says, For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly or to think rightly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So Paul is not content simply stating that the strong are to please their neighbor. He goes on to describe the purpose for which they do this, for his good. For his good. Am I bearing this brother's weight? Am I carrying a load with him for his good? Or am I doing it for some other reason? 
Is there another motive lurking? I, I, I was intentional about that word. You know that word lurking? You know, it's, it's just kind of a, ooh, it's kind of a mysterious word, isn't it? But only you and the Lord really truly know. And sometimes maybe, I don't know, maybe we, we inflate the things about ourselves, I believe, oftentimes. And we have these lurking, hidden motives, angles. And so how can you bear with this other brother in a way that pleases him for his good? Now the text, text doesn't maybe specifically answer that question directly right here. But I do believe we have an answer from the Scripture. I, you know, I know, I know of no other way to accomplish this church than by asking of God in prayer. <laughs> asking of God in prayer. Seeking Him through prayer. Asking of Him to, to guide you in, in, in what you say. Taking captive those thoughts that inevitably come as the remnants of the flesh try to win the day. You see, the Holy Spirit is an encourager. And one of His roles, the Scripture says, is to point you to the very words of Christ Himself. The prayer may be to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. For the Bible says that walking in the flesh, we cannot. It is impossible to please God when we walk in the flesh. So I got to thinking. Pleasing my neighbor seems to be from the Scripture pleasing to God. Pleasing myself is pleasing to the flesh. So then there's a question for us. Which one are you catering to? Which one? Where does this kind of action lead? Where does it take us? In pleasing my neighbor for his good, where does that lead? You know, when you're in your car and and you're going somewhere, every turn you make, every street you turn on is, is part of the journey to get to where you're ultimately headed. And if you make enough wrong turns, guess what? You're not going to get there. It's going to take you somewhere, but it's not going to take you where you would like to go, where you originally were hoping to go. In pleasing my neighbor for his good, what does the text say? Where where does that lead? What's that result in? And we look at 15.2 again. We read this. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to, here's that word again, edification. Edification. Building up. James Boyce in his commentary shares, I believe, some very helpful words. I just would like to share some of the thoughts here. Uh, These aren't mine, so I put them out there to make sure you know that. um, Tied into what we're speaking of here. He says the whole measure of the fullness of Christ is what we should be trying to see in other Christians. Therefore, to the extent that we are following God's blueprint, God's blueprint, rather than our dim vision of what we think other people should be, we will be doing everything in our power to help them become like Jesus Christ and be equipped to serve others for His sake. 
So he goes on and talks about, first of all, one of the things we need to do, we need to know what it is we're trying to build. We talk about building. Are we going by God's blueprint, church? Are we going off our own blueprint for what that building looks like? Secondly, he says, you know, build on the right foundation. Build on the right foundation. In Christ, as we read earlier, Christ is the only adequate foundation. And we see Matthew speaks in Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? There's two people. They're the people, both of them here, but only one of them hear and actually carry out the words Jesus has spoke, uh, spoken. And that person is called and deemed a wise man. The other one is deemed a foolish man because he built on sand. Build on the right foundation. And you know, there are people today, aren't there? Wondering why these things are happening. Wondering how they can manage through and navigate through these storms of life. There's an answer. There's an answer. His name is Jesus. And He is the one upon whom we must build. If we try, and if we attempt to build on any other foundation, we see the result of that at the end of Matthew 7. Of the foolish man who builds his house on sand. Thirdly, he says, build with the right supplies. You know, we are to build up that other believer with the resources that, that you and I have been given in Christ. The Scriptures. This is such a novel idea. You know, I, I do believe that you know, we're looking for this something to, to grasp and to hold on to, something that we can maybe give to somebody. You know, this other brother probably doesn't need three steps to success or four keys to management in your life or, or, or five points to becoming a better person in general. I, the, the, the only thing, the one thing that transformed lives, church, is the Word of God. Amen? That's the one thing that transforms lives. It stands secure. It stands firm in the heavens. That's what the psalmist says. It's unchanging. And so, building with the right supplies, understanding that we ought to be about the business of rightly dividing the Word, and then ask of God, how might He use you? How might He use you to apply the Word, that particular Word, in the life of that other brother? We need to be sure we use the right supplies. And then lastly, he mentions this. Construct the building, understanding that it takes time. Understanding that it takes time. He says, we cannot edify other Christians rapidly. <laughs> it takes hard work over time. It means adding a little teaching here and a little teaching there. And Paul says in Romans chapter 15, let us each, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. And then as he concludes this part that we're going to be looking at today, he does so by once again providing evidence for why the strong is under obligation to bear with the weaknesses of the weak. Look at Romans 15, 3. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, there's that phrase, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Who did Christ subject himself to while he was here on earth? Wasn't it his aim 
to carry out the will of his Father in all things and to please him. That was his goal. That was his objective. That was what he lived his life. You see it in John's Gospel especially. Over and over and over again. He came not to do his own will, but he came to carry out the will of his Father. And you look at Psalm 69, which is where this quote here has come from. And if you look at Psalm 69, you see in verse 4, the emphasis upon his enemies. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. We see also down in verse 8. Psalmist says, I've become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. You know, when you read Psalm 69, this is one of the the most often quoted uh, Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament. There there are several. You'll probably recognize them if you read through Psalm 69. You'll pick that up. But reading Psalm 69 in reference to Jesus Christ, I encourage you to read it in that manner. And see that, you know what? That that Christ Himself had enemies while He was here on earth. In verse 8, we see that even His own brothers, remember the story, His own brothers didn't even believe in Him, did they? Those who were close to Him didn't even believe. We see in verse 11 of that Psalm 69, He said, I also made sackcloth of my garment. I became a byword to them. I became a, a byword or a proverb. I was spoken of as some fool. Oh, it gets worse in verse 12 there, or uh, verse 11 at the end. I, I became by where those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards. You get the picture of Christ and the mocking, the sarcasm. And for me, there's no other picture that does it as well as the, the picture when Christ is actually on the cross. And they're coming by and they're wagging their tongues at him, essentially. You who said you were going to come down. Come on, come on down, then we'll believe. You're going to destroy this, this temple and build it back in three days. He saved others, but he can't save himself. I hear the mocking. I see the pointing of fingers. This is the example that's held up here in Romans 15.3. The text says, For even Christ did not please Himself. If there was anybody who ever walked planet Earth who had the right to, it would be Jesus. But even Jesus didn't. He wasn't here to please himself. The writer says this. He says it's important to remember that in these verses, Romans 14 and 15, Paul is not talking about Christians standing against the insults and abuses of the world, drawing on the character and power of Jesus to do so. Though That is something that is also necessary. Nor is he writing about spiritual warfare. He is talking about a far lesser matter. Christians merely getting along with other Christians. 
the strong bearing with the limited understandings of the weak, and the weak bearing with the beliefs of the strong, whom they believe to be an heir. He is simply talking about getting along with one another. And to come back to this point must seem almost a waste of Christ's example, or at least an understatement of the case. But that is exactly the point. Our calling is to be like Jesus Christ, who endured the worst men could do to Him in order to please His Father and win our salvation. And since that is the case, we should be able to overlook the many ways in which other Christians differ from us and get on with the task of building them up and then striving together with them in the Christian life. Two things I want to leave you with. In study this week, I was was drawn to this one verse in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7. So this is the building of the temple. It says, In the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry, so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. I don't, I, don't, I don't know or recall of any other building that was built that way. <laughs> Why am I reading that? Well, I, I believe as I read that, that there is a, a work, and it's not a, a noisy, hammering, chiseling sound oftentimes. But there is work that has been done, work that is being done in the life of that other brother sitting next to you, that other sister. Work that you have no idea God has been doing in their life. And if we would just stop for a moment to realize there is a work of God that has been going on Biblically speaking, we could call it sanctification. A work of God that is happening in this other brother and sister's life. You may not see it, but God's doing a work. And just like that temple being built, that temple was built in a very unique way. The scripture says that there was not a hammer heard, the sound of hammering, and, and uh, there was not, that was not heard. And yet there was building happening, wasn't there? What if? What if we understood that principle as a church and and realized and, and embraced this whole idea and concept that God is doing a work. He's at work right now doing a work inside that other brother, inside that other sister. And I, want to be helpful to build up that work of God and not tear down and destroy what God is doing in that other brother. Lastly, I leave you with this. This one hit close to home.
We're talking about edification and building up the, in the body of Christ. If for some reason that didn't resonate with you, I'd like to conclude this morning by speaking to something that may very well resonate with you. Each one of you in here are a part of a family. Each one of you in here have been brought up in a home, whether it was your dad and mom or whether it was your grandpa and grandma, someone helped raise you and bring you up. And right here today, many of you are fathers, many of you are mothers. Some of you are uncles and aunts. And you have extended family. I want to call your attention to this text and put it maybe a little closer to home for you. Put it a little closer in your lap. I carry around a picture in my Bible. A picture of my children. Actually, they're the Lord's children. He's just gifted them to me for a time. And when I look at the picture... In light of this text, I'm reminded there's a work of God that He's doing in the lives of each one of my children. And they all are at different places, different phases in that walk, in that journey. Just as dad and mom are in different places in that journey. And so when we talk about edification and when we talk about destroying or tearing down, I want you to know. And understand, that principle applies and is seen most clearly inside your own home. Are you building up those in your home? Are you tearing down? Are you seeing and observing your, your children that you've been given, stewarded for a time? Are you seeing them in such a way? that you want to and desire to come alongside of them and to build them up to see what the Lord has in store for this young son, this young daughter, and to work with the Lord and to partner with the Lord, seeing that they grow to become more like Jesus. Oh, I, I pray, I hope and pray that my wife and I can do that. I hope and pray that dad's Husbands and wives, you too can do that very same thing. And not even with your children, I'm going to press it even a little further, but in our marriages. In our marriages. Be about building your spouse up. Don't tear her down. For even Christ himself. didn't please himself. That's our standard. That's our example. Let's follow in suit. Let's pray. Father, I pray just a prayer of thanks for your word. I'm always amazed, Lord, at the power of your word and what your word says and how when we look at your word, Lord, we, we can come away as we're, we're drawn to what you're saying 
And our desire then, Lord, hopefully would be to then walk in that way. Oh, Father, I pray that this church at Hope in Christ would be about building others up and not tearing them down. That this would be a place of love where we would speak truth and love one to another. That we would remember as our example Christ. That we would not be about pleasing ourselves, but Lord, instead we would be about seeking the will of the Father in all things. Thank you for your good word. I pray, Lord, we would walk in your good way. That we would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and not in the flesh. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.